Y'all ever, uh, you, you ever walk in on the wrong part of a conversation? That awkward moment? I'm just going to warn those of you that are visiting with us this morning. We have been in the book of Ecclesiastes. Things have been a little heavy. Um, actually, you caught us on a good day. We're going to be on a little bit lighter note. But just to give a little background, a little context, uh, catch everybody up to speed and remind those of us that have been here the past several weeks. Uh, Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, right? And he's, what he's doing, he's examining life under the sun and all different aspects of life. Uh, much in the same way you would look at a diamond from different angles to see how light reflects off of it, uh, looking, looking at things carefully, seeing where the flaws are, some of the different colors and hues. Uh, Solomon's examining life that closely, and so he doesn't miss much. He talks about nature, work, living and dying, pleasure and pain, money and success, and human relationships. Uh, some wise theologians, like Solomon, from the 1990s, looking at the world and its difficulty, once said, so no one told you life was going to be this way. Your job's a joke, you're broke, your love life's DOA. It's like you're always stuck in second gear when it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. But I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour. I'll be there for you like I've been there before. I'll be there for you because you're there for me too. That's the Friends sitcom theme song for those of you that didn't catch that. Maybe you're too young or too old for that reference. Here's one maybe we all know. Lean on me by Bill Withers. He says, we all have pain. We all have sorrow. But if we're wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. Lean on me when you're not strong. And I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. And then last but not least, those who perhaps put all these thoughts together best, the Beatles who simply observed, I get by with a little help from my friends. That's the subject of today's sermon, friends and friendship. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 4 through 16, Solomon's really lamenting loneliness. That's what's in the shadows. But we, we, we need the highlights to create a good contrast to get a clear, crisp image of what's going on here. And the highlights are friends and friendship, the value of those things. In these verses, we see pe people are fickle. People are fickle. That's, that's the frustrating part. But that realization underscores the importance and value of good friends and friendships, people that we can truly count on. Good friends may be hard to find, but it's worth finding good friends. That's the main idea of the sermon this morning. So before we get into that, let's go ahead and read Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. Now hear the words of the one true and living God. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother. Yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. 
For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you that, uh, that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us through your word. And God, that we can know more about ourselves by studying your word. God, we pray that you would help us with both this morning. Help us to have a clear picture of, of you and your grace and, and, and who we are and how we deal with people and the value of friendships. And God, I pray that you would help me, that you would give me soundness of mind and, and clarity of speech so that uh, your word could go forth this morning. So God, move me out of the way. Use me to bring your word to bear on the hearts of everyone here this morning. For your glory alone, Father, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to go through this passage looking at loneliness and, and what causes it, but more so our need for good friends and identifying what these verses tell us a good friend is like. And a good friend is someone who will be happy to see you get ahead in life. Uh, a good friend is someone who will have your back through life's difficulties. And a good friend is someone who will stand by you even when no one else will. Good friends are hard to find, but it's worth finding a friend who will be happy for you when you get ahead, that can celebrate your successes with you. Someone you know will will stick it out with you when, when you meet trials in life, and you will. And someone who you know will stand by your side, even when no one else will, and take up your cause. So point number one, a good friend is someone who will be happy to see you get ahead in life. And we're looking at the first couple verses here, verses 4 through 8. And in verse 4, we see that Solomon observes that a man's work is driven by envy of his neighbor. Interestingly, the, that, that word there for neighbor is friend. That's the word. You know, it's not limited to friend. That's why it's translated neighbor. It's not cool to envy somebody just because they're not your friend, right? It's a little bit more inclusive than that. But Solomon's talking about friendship or the absence of friendship, loneliness, in this whole chapter. So I think it's safe to say that's included. He's lamenting the reality that unhealthy competition exists among us, even among friends. And that envy actually keeps us lonely. Our envy keeps us lonely. That word envy, it's zeal, jealousy, rivalry, animosity, and even anger. That's what's behind men's toil, Solomon says. That, that, that's their motivation for working hard. You know, we, we acquire skills in life. We, we work hard in life. And why? Why is that exactly? To get ahead, Solomon says. To get ahead of whom? Everyone. Everyone we know, even those that we, uh, we might say are our friends. It's hard to have friends that way, though, always having to keep your guard up. It's hard to have friends when you're surrounded by people who are always 
jockeying for position and competing with you to get ahead. But that's what men's toil looks like under the sun. Solomon says it leads to loneliness. He says in an earlier chapter, we're supposed to receive our toil. Y'all might remember this. I think it was chapter 3. That we're supposed to receive our toil as a gift from God, aren't we? We're supposed to recognize it as being given to us by the hand of God. And, and for that reason, we're supposed to be able to enjoy it on its own terms. But what he observes here is that what's really underneath our purpose for work is something inside of us that desperately desires to outshine other people. Or at the very least, to not be outshone. You know, we know we have to love our neighbor. But it sure is easier when, when I'm up here and he's down there. Right? What, what we really want more than anything is to be better than our neighbor, don't we? We, we, we want to stand out. You can stand out too, just, just don't stand too close to me when you do it, right? Like go over there somewhere. That's a deficiency in all of us, if we're honest. And it's hard to be close to people and to have genuine friendships that way. But if you know, you know, you know you're working your tail off, trying to get ahead, and you know you're getting nowhere, and then you see your friend that with very little effort succeeds somehow, gets ahead in a big way, doesn't a little piece of you die inside? Like, why is that? You know, maybe it doesn't go that far with you, though. Maybe you stuff that feeling because you know you should be happy for them, but you know you can't. You, you convince yourself that you're happy for them, but you keep putting yourself back into the equation and playing the comparison game. And the reality is, if we're honest, it's hard for us to say, good for you, without saying, well, what about me? That's just kind of how we're wired. And it's not just in our work. We have a hard time being happy for anyone we think is doing better than we are. And to give you an example, you know, Amanda and I have been blessed abundantly with six children. But, you know, we tried for two years before we had the first. And, you know, we we're surrounded by friends and, and people that were just having babies all over the place. And, you know, I, the first few times that happens, friends that we knew that were having babies, yeah, it's no big deal. But when we've been trying a year and then we find out somebody that's been trying a month ends up pregnant, that stings. Why? Because they got the thing I've been wanting, and I don't have it yet. And if you knew us back then, you might have said, yeah, but aren't you happy for them? And I would have said, I mean, I know I'm supposed to be. You know, I'm feeling something, that's for sure. I don't know if I'd call it happy. And you know what it was? Envy. Why is that there? Why can't we just be happy for someone without making ourselves the issue? Why can't we be excited about what someone else has without worrying about what I don't have? And the short answer is sin. That's what life's like under the sun. That's what Solomon has observed, and he says it too is striving after win. Friends ought to be able to celebrate each other's successes in life rather than feeling the need to compete or outdo one another or play the comparison game. You know, if we could just stay in our lane, just work hard as unto the Lord, just, just let faithfulness to God and obedience to God be our motivation, 
so that we're not always grading our performance based on someone else's curve and, and grading their performance based on our own. That's where the envy comes in. If we could do that, we, we could be genuinely excited when our friends get ahead. Good friends are hard to find, and a good friend is someone who will be happy to see you get ahead. Being a good friend means being happy to see others get ahead. And, you know, I can't tell you how, how to find friends like that. They're just a blessing. But we can look at how to become that friend. And side note is we're talking about friends and friendships. You know, it's funny. There's all these books about how to make friends. And they all give the same advice. Be manipulative. That's what they, that's what they all say. You, do things for people so they'll feel obligated to do things for you. Get them into emotional debt with you. Do, do favors for people so they will return the favor. And if they don't, cut them off and move on. You don't need that kind of negativity in your life. Why waste time on people that don't bring you value? Isn't that what we hear? That is not friendship. Friendships are not transactional. They're personal. They're relational. The way we adopt that biblical model of friendship where we can truly celebrate our friends' successes and getting ahead in life instead of using them to get ahead in our own is to learn how to be content. That keeps coming up a lot. And Solomon shows us that here. First, Solomon points out the, the sluggard in verse 5, if you look back there. He observes the, the, the fickleness of people and how friends will stab each other in the back to get ahead. And, and, and this guy, the sluggard, just checks out. He just takes his ball and goes home. He doesn't want to have any part of that. Uh, he, he, you know, he doesn't want to participate in what he sees as a cruel and fruitless game of competition and getting ahead. And he comes to ruin as a result. So what Solomon did right there in case you didn't see it, is he, he takes these two extreme examples, the, the ultra-driven workaholic and the, the shiftless sluggard, so that he can show us the middle where contentment is. He says in verse 6, better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and a striving after wind. I'm not trying to beat you to death with Hebrew lessons this morning or anything like that, but this is Hebrew poetry, so the words are artfully and carefully chosen they matter okay the word for hand there he says for a handful of quietness it's it's the palm okay so the picture we get is it's better to have an open hand that's that's heaping with with quietness and open to continue receiving more than it is to have two fistfuls of toil it's better to have one open hand filled with quietness and contentment. That's better than anything you can get both your hands on. That's what he's saying. Because those two fistfuls come with strenuous activity that is usually fueled by a relentless endeavor to keep up with the Joneses, to want whatever it is that they have. He says that's a lonely business. I'm giving you Proverbs a lot. As we're going through Ecclesiastes, I've been sprinkling those in as we've gone through this, this series, because Solomon wrote most of them. 
right? And a lot of the themes he picks up here, he, he takes up in, in Proverbs 2. And he says in Proverbs 15, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. That's a lot like what he's saying here. Contentment. All that striving and agonizing over chasing money and getting ahead and standing out, it won't bring you peace. And it likely won't bring you many friends. What it'll likely do is leave you lonely. So good friends are hard to find, but it's worth finding good friends. It's worth being a good friend. And one of the things a good friend does is we can celebrate someone else's success without making it about us. Without being jealous of what they got and what I didn't, or how much I deserved it too, but they got it instead. We can let go of all that. When we're not so self-interested and we actually take an interest in others, that's where it's at. When there's nothing in it for us. And the way you become that friend is to learn to be satisfied with what is adequate rather than scurrying for more. So a good friend is someone who can be genuinely happy to see you get ahead in life. And then point number two, a good friend is someone who will have your back in life's difficulties. In verse 7, Solomon shows us money makes a poor companion. As it turns out, you can't be friends with your stuff. And acquiring all the stuff, the man he describes there in verse 7, he, he never stops to look around and ask himself, what's it all for? Who am I working so hard for? He doesn't have anyone to care for or anyone to share it with. And still, his eye is not satisfied with riches. His need is, he has all, he has all his need, that he needs, he has enough, but he can't bear the thought of not pursuing more. He has enough for his need, but not enough for his eye. And because he can't bring himself to stop chasing another dollar, he's alone and he's lonely. That's what you see in verse 7. No one will be around in his time of need. And that's sad. Solomon says so in verse 8. This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Then he says in verse 9, two are better than one. And then he begins to list the reasons why. First, because they have good reward for their toil. They just get more done. They're more productive. Then he says you're better off not going through life alone. This is where it gets exciting, okay? It's better to have a friend with you, verses 10 through 12. He says, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. So what he just did there, he gave you three scenarios that he lays out where it's good to have a friend and a companion. At the time this was written, consider people walked everywhere they went, right, for the most part. So what would be a, like a three-hour trip to Atlanta for us would be a three-day journey for them on foot. And that's if you never stopped walking, right? But let's say along the way you trip and you fall. And you break your leg or you fall into a ditch. Sure would be nice to have someone there with you so you don't just get eaten up by the animals in the woods. Who, you know, It's good to have somebody with you, to, to pick you up, to tend to your injuries. It says, woe to the man who doesn't have someone along with him when dangerous things happen like that. And let's say it gets cold one of those nights. It's another scenario. It gets cold one of those nights, you're camping out under the stars. It's not like you're carrying around a nice big Eddie Bauer pop-up tent with you. You know, you, well, you got like a blanket. And you might freeze to death unless you had a friend there with you. It would be better if you had a friend there to huddle together with for warmth. 
Now, you're not going to tell anybody that story later, right, guys? You know, you're going to leave that part out about your journey. Uh, you know, you're thankful for the warmth in the moment, but not thankful for the memory, you know? Um, the next scenario he gives you is that, that of meeting bandits on the trail. I might try to beat you up and take all your stuff and leave you for dead. And he says, you know, you don't stand a chance alone, but with a friend, you might be able to defend yourselves. So here's the big picture. This journey you're on, it's called life. And traveling through life alone is dangerous. It's no good. We need a traveling partner to get through this journey of life. A good friend who will be there for you, who you can be vulnerable with, and who you know will have your back in life's difficulties. And more is better, Solomon says at the end of verse 12. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, there's a sense that there's, there's strength in numbers. One friend's good, two's better. The more, the merrier. <clears throat> you know, it, it reminds me of... Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. I can't help but think of that movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Not just my favorite Christmas movie. I just, I love the movie. Uh, and I get choked up at the end every time. You know, you guys remember George Bailey, main character, right? He's, uh, he's at the end of his rope. He's, he's gotten his wish that he'd never been born at all. He's had an opportunity to see that his life really did matter. And then he's back. He's happy. He's excited to be alive. But he's, he's, he's still got to go and face the music. His uncle lost eight grand of the company money, and people think that they, that they embezzled it. So he's, he's got that to look forward to. But then, like, the whole town shows up in his living room, don't they? And they're gladly emptying their jars of savings onto the table to raise enough money to, to save him in his hour of need. And then you remember Clarence's letter that he wrote to him in the book? No man is a failure who has friends. Remember that? Traveling through life's journey, we will come on hard times, and we can't do it alone. Good friends that will be there for us when we need them are a gift from God. One is good, but being surrounded by friends, that's even better. But here's what's interesting. Solomon goes right on into this, this, this idea. He just finished telling us, you know, the more the merrier kind of thing. Solomon goes on next to describe a man who appeared to have lots of friends. He had people in his corner. He had the numbers, but what he had wasn't friendship. It was merely popularity. And this might be good for some of you young folks as you're choosing your friends and, and, and growing up and becoming more independent. This is getting into point number three now. A good friend, someone who will stand by you even when no one else will. Let's, let's read these few verses again. Verses 13 through 16. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. There's actually a lot going on right here, and I don't want to leave anything out, so I'm going to do my best to kind of sum this up and boil it down for us. What we have is an unkingly old king and a kingly young peasant. 
And we have, a, we have an honorable man taking the seat and position of an unhonorable man. And what's interesting, too, is in Scripture, it's the old guys that are wise, right? It's always the old guys that are the wise ones. There's just something, wisdom sort of kind of comes with age. And the young guys are expected to make mistakes and be foolish and hot-headed and so on and so forth. We see the opposite's true here. This is an example where it's flipped. The, the one that's expected to be wise, the old king of noble blood and ample opportunity and resources, he's the fool. And the young guy who was a prisoner in the kingdom is now king of that same kingdom. What appears to be the old king's downfall. What, what does appear to be the old king's downfall? Did you catch it there? It's kind of subtle. It's, it's isolation. It's going it alone. He no longer knew how to take advice, it says. He was isolated. Another proverb of Solomon, without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. And where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. This king's isolation was his downfall. Thinking he had it all figured out on his own, he withdrew from his people, and his people withdrew from him. And his people championed this other guy, this, this young guy. They loved him. And so the new kid on the block, he doesn't just have two or three friends, he had a whole kingdom of friends. Or did he? Solomon just told us in verse 12 there's strength in numbers, and this guy has the numbers. But eventually, someone else comes along who's even more popular than that guy. And everybody's constant craving for something new kicks in, and then they forget all about him. What he had wasn't friendship. It was merely popularity. Y'all hear me, young people. This too is vanity and striving after wind, Solomon says. The cycle of people's allegiances being fickle. It just continues and continues. And that's where the passage ends. And naturally, Solomon ends it on a dour note. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. Striving after wind. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Those of us that have been here from the beginning in the book of Ecclesiastes, that, you know, we have to be able to recognize these are some of the most positive verses we've come across thus far. We see that companionship is good. We can't miss that. Verses 9 through 12, he's talking about the need we have for companionship, how important it is to have good friends, travel partners, who will stick by your side when you walk through life. Two are better than one, three is even better. There's an advantage of being surrounded by friends, but as we can see here, there's something in the quality of the friends. It's not a mere numbers game. It's quality over quantity. Proverbs 18, 24. It says, a man of many companions comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's better to have one good friend, one travel partner on the journey through life together with you that's faithful, that will stick by your side no matter what. And that kind of friend wouldn't be driven by envy to compete with you and feel like they always had to be a step ahead of you. They, they celebrate your successes with you, and they're not busy pursuing their own goals so much that they, they can't be interested in, in what you've got going on. That's what good friends do. They pick you up when, they, when you fall down. They stand up and defend you when you're attacked. And even if everyone turns their back on you and abandons you, like they did this young king here, 
This kind of friend will never leave your side. Everyone needs a friend like that, don't we? And we need to be that kind of friend, don't we? Good friends are hard to find, but it's worth finding good friends. We need them. We need them. It's not good for us to go through life alone. Before we close, I want to address something. This is a, a moment of transparency with you. As I was preparing this, this sermon, lots of stuff's going through my mind. I've, I've, I've learned things about preparing sermons. And I recognize I, I haven't mentioned Jesus yet. Sometimes, though, I think preachers make every text in the Bible about justification by faith. The problem with that is not every text in the Bible is about justification by faith. And all of the Bible points us to Jesus, yes. But we don't have to come to every text and then staple a little cross on the end of it to make it count. Right? We, remember, Solomon's essentially writing to the Old Testament church, who knows the law of Moses, who is expecting a promised redeemer. And these words are the word of God. And so what we hear in these verses is the word of Christ, who is the word. You know, we, we don't need to feel the urge to pull a rabbit out of the hat, trying to figure out where Christ is in every passage, because he speaks to us in every word. And here, I believe he wants us to know that while people are fickle, and friends are hard to find, it's good when you have one. And that's something down here under the sun we can actually enjoy and look forward to. Hadn't been a lot of that, right, as we've gone through Ecclesiastes. We've seen a lot of bad stuff. But one of the things that we're able to recognize here is there's something good we can have under the sun. That companionship, that kind of friendship, someone to be a travel partner on life's journey with. Friendship's a blessing. Friends help us get through the rough stuff together. And there's rough stuff, right? If we've been paying attention, there's lots of it. We weren't meant to walk this journey alone. We can be there for each other. Um, I do want to share a story with you. A story, I think, probably helps us see where Christ is in our friendships. A seminary professor of mine once told me, he was, he was a pastor of a church, a husband and a father, and uh, he was under a lot of pressure in ministry. And on top of that, his mother was dying. I mean, quick, quick decline. You know, every day was a struggle. You never knew when she was going to go. Um, and on top of that, the, the, his family only had one car and it was failing. There was more to it than all of that, but you get the picture. I mean, he felt like the weight of the world was on him. He was just crushed. And he told me one night he, had, uh, he was on his couch in the middle of the night trying to pray, uh, having a real hard time. Some of y'all have been there, know exactly what I'm talking about. And he told me, he said, I, I told God, you have forgotten me. You have forgotten my family. And he told me, he said, I meant it. The next Lord's Day, he gathered whatever strength he could muster to go and preach and minister to his people. And after the sermon, he literally ran away and hid in his office to just be alone and cry. He was overwhelmed. 
And a lady that worked in the church office found him, and she told him, you know, come with me, I want to show you something. He's like, I, you know, he's beat down, he's depressed. He doesn't want to be bothered, but she insists. So he follows her out to the front of the church where everyone's standing around staring at him. And parked there on the curb is a new minivan. And she looks at his kids first and says, you kids don't know how much your father does, how much he loves and cares for people, and how much we love him. And then she looks at him and says, I'm not going to give you this key because I know you'll refuse it. I'm going to give it to your wife because I know you won't deny her. And you can't refuse it because it's already been paid for and it's in your name. You cannot refuse what already belongs to you. He thought God had forgotten him. But God remembered him. And he showed him he was not alone in his life's travels by overwhelming him with the generosity of a few good friends. We need that, y'all. God knows we do. And he gives it to us. Good friends are hard to find. But it's good to find a good friend. A big part of the way Christ shows us his love for us is through our love for each other, isn't it? And a big part of the way that we show others our love for him is our love for each other. Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And when it comes to friends, that looks like walking in when everyone else is walking out. Sticking it out with them in the trials of life. And holding their hand high in the air, presenting them as a champion when they do well. Without being envious or, or minimizing their successes. Good friends may be hard to find, but they're worth finding. And if you have one, thank God for that one. And if you have more than one, count yourself richly blessed. Sometimes that's often as good as it gets under the sun. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your friendship. We have friendship with you through Christ, our Redeemer. God, we thank you. We can know we are not alone. And God, we thank you for the gift of friendship with others, for travel partners in life. Help us to recognize the friends we have for the gift they are and to help us to be the kind of friends you want us to be, the kind of friends that remind people in difficult times you have not forgotten or forsaken your people. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen.